week. Zach is preaching this morning at a, another church here in town. Uh, they were lacking in quality preachers, and so they asked Zach to come and preach, and so he's there this morning preaching. Should be uh, done if he stuck to his 20-minute rule, which I don't know if you know this or not, but Zach never preaches lo- uh, shorter than 41 minutes. So uh, just FYI. And this morning, I'm going to preach for 45 minutes, just so you know. I'm not making a joke. I have a lot to say to you. So this is not going to be like Fox News. You get to just decide for yourself. Uh, But instead, this is God's Word, and I want you to take notes because I'm going to try my best to equip you and educate you on what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, We have been studying the Sermon on the Mount. We spent about six months studying the Sermon on the Mount, and now we get to come down the mountain and begin walking what, uh, what Christ has told us to do, the words that he spoke to us, preach to us. We're going to put them into action, and we're going to follow him as disciples of Jesus. Think for a moment, how do you introduce yourself? When somebody asks you who you are, how is it that you introduce yourself? When uh, David and I went to uh, Malaysia, we have to come up with, uh, not a lie, but truth. It's called a short, truthful statement to identify who you are. It's easy for David to, uh, to identify himself. When somebody asks him, hey, what do you do? Uh, he says, I follow Francis around. It's easy for him to say that. And they go, oh, okay, we understand. Uh, for me, it's a little bit more difficult to, to really define what, what I do. So but think for a moment uh, what your truth, uh, short, truthful statement would be. How is it that you define yourself? How do you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. I'm a great-grandma. I'm a great-granddad. I'm a husband. I'm a CEO. I'm a pastor. I'm a fisherman. I'm a whatever the case may be. How is it that you are introducing yourself? And I just listed a variety of things, but I wonder, uh, just right off the bat here, were any of you thinking when you introduce yourself, Do you introduce yourself as a little Christ, a mini Jesus, a Christian, a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus? I mean, in conversations I've had with you and many others that I know, um, when we begin to introduce ourselves, though we know this in the back of our head, we have this in our heart, many of us put that label of how we introduce ourselves as a disciple of Jesus or a little Christ or a mini Jesus uh, we introduce ourselves, that would be far down the list. We begin identifying ourselves by the things that we do, uh, by the jobs that we have, by the way that we're being paid to, uh, to, to live in this world. We begin to introduce ourselves by these things. In, in essence, in the essence of the word Christian, when these Christians begin being called Christians, really the, the Greek word, the word, that the name they were being called was little Christ. They were being identified by the fact that they were walking around as people who were walking as Jesus walked. They were saying the things that Jesus said. They were living out the words that Jesus left for them to live. So we make it a point in saying that uh, we are about the Great Commission. Uh, we, We are bold in that. Southern Baptists really grabbed a hold of the Great Commission and say, this is our thing. We are called to make disciples of the entire world. But we have difficulty defining, and if you're in Sunday school next week, which I hope that you are, if you're, if you're not able to come to Sunday school, grab the discussion questions so you can be thinking about these questions this week. 
But we have difficulty defining what a disciple is. I mean, if we read again, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, you hear these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Possibly the same mountain that he spoke to Sermon on the Mount. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, like we spoke two weeks ago, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As a disciple of Jesus, one of the major things that you have to understand is you have to recognize the power, the authority, the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus. You have to recognize the authority of Jesus. If you as a disciple, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but you are not recognizing the authority of Jesus, that he has it all, you're having difficulty in understanding what a disciple of Jesus really is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. A few weeks ago I mentioned to you, wouldn't it be interesting... If you as a parent or a grandparent, maybe you've been given a child uh, through adoption or foster care or something, but you have a small child. The child is not old enough to even walk yet or even crawl. Our, our, our neighbors across the street have a really chunky little baby. She's still, she's getting up. She's, she's about to crawl, but she's not quite there yet. But can you imagine for a moment if that child finally began to crawl and then in their crawling, you're so excited, and then they finally stand up, they grab they grab onto something and they stand up. And then after they stand up, you're ready for it. You're, you're encouraging them. You're motivating them. You're cheering. You've got the video camera ready. And they take their first step. And in that moment, you cheer. The crowd with you in the room erupts with, with just joy and triumph. The baby finally, finally took their first step. Finally, the baby is, is walking. And then can you imagine, after that episode is done, if you just went over and shook the baby's hand and said, congratulations, you're on your way. You don't need me anymore. Instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to the next one. I'm going to find another baby to teach how to crawl and to walk and take that first step, and I'm going to abandon this one and, and move on. Uh, often within the church, uh, we see this happen. We, we make a convert. We, we sell the, the good news to them. They accept it. We, we force them to uh, recite the sinner's prayer, and then we, we take them up into the baptistry, and we lower them in the water, and we talk about the symbolism of it, and they stand up in the water, and we cheer and rejoice, and we watch the video over and over again, and then as they walk out of the baptistry, we say, you're on your own. Good luck with yourself. Hope that you find Jesus still continually. Hope that you walk in him. Hope that you grow up in him. Hope that you mature in him. Hope that your knowledge in, increases in him. And we don't follow through on what Christ has taught us to do, making a disciple, teaching them to observe all the things that Christ had commanded. So, so we have to come to an understanding there's a huge difference between a convert and a disciple. There's a huge difference in that. Parents, you know this. Grandparents, you know this. You see this in your own children or grandchildren. You've taught them. You've led them. And they begin acting like you. They begin saying things that you say. You're at the dinner table and somebody drops a cup on the floor and there's a spilled uh, milk or water or juice or whatever it is. And a word comes out. Oh, where would they learn that from? And everybody points back to you. They learned that from you. They were repeating what you say. You teach them. 
I feel like the church, the churches that I've worked with, had a privilege of working with, they are making disciples. The problem is they're not making disciples of Jesus. In the business world, maybe some of you have heard this, there's a thing called institutional isomorphism. Institutional isomorphism. Basically what happens is a new business wants to start and they find themselves molding or morphing into the other businesses that are like them around them. So they're not really anything new about them. They're just like all the other businesses. They just have a different name. You see this, maybe you've gone to a big, bigger city and you see this with car washes. You have Quick Quack, you have Raider, you have Express, you have Tornado, and you have Golden, and you have, we're going to wash your car the best. You're like, I'm going to try this one out. And you, you drive through, and it's just like the other ones. They're all kind of morphing into the same, same thing. Well, the hope and the goal of the church, the mission of the church, is that we would be making disciples of Jesus. We'd be morphing people into, or transforming people into Jesus. Unfortunately, we fall into the category of institutional isomorphism also, where we just morph people or transform them into our likeness, or into the likeness of what we've seen and what we like and what we, we, we feel like is most good for people in our world today. It's the reason why, if I can just step on your toes just for a moment here, it's the reason why many of our congregations in this very city that we're in look exactly alike, but yet don't look like Jesus. Many of our congregations in the city who claim to worship Jesus worship a number of things, yet they're not worshiping Jesus. Who are you? What defines you? Well, we define ourselves by these things. We have a great-looking parking lot. We have a great-looking building. We have a great, a phenomenal, a great, good-looking, strong, handsome, the best ever pastor. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we begin to look, we begin to define ourselves by those things. I mean, how many times in the conversations you've had with people in this city, this very city, have you heard from other church members around town or even in our own church here, we love Jesus and only Jesus. We want people to follow Jesus and only Jesus. We're doing our best to proclaim Jesus and only Jesus. And we, get, we get sidetracked. We get distracted. We get pulled away from what is truly the center of what Christ has desired for his followers. I mean, think for a moment, if you remember, and I know it's been a long time since we preached the Sermon on the Mount, but think for a moment, if you remember, that the, truly the, the center of the Sermon on the Mount is thy will being done. Not, not my will, but Christ's will being done. Christ is the center of the Sermon on the Mount. He's the center of it. And so with that being said, as we walk down the mountain and as we're, we're thinking about all that Christ has taught us, we're thinking about how to follow him off the mountain, what should remain? Christ being the center should remain. It's important for us to see that. Six months ago, I, I mentioned to you these things. I mentioned to you that First Baptist Church Lovington should be a church with a mission statement that sounds something like this. Christ completed work exists for us and we exist for Christ. There's, there's no other reason for existence of Christ and his church other than that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be glorified. And we exist for that purpose, to exalt Christ. Remember, he is, uh, he is the beginning of all. He's the end of all. And in him and through him, all things have been created. So for that fact, because of, because of what Paul wrote for us in Colossians chapter 1, because of that, Christ is it. And as a disciple of Jesus, we make that known. We make that our mission in life 
is to show that Christ, that my existence is for Christ. I mentioned to you also six months ago that our vision as a church should be something like this, that we should be a multi-generational, multicultural family of disciples that make disciples of Jesus, that we should be multi-generational. Never once when Christ preached the Great Commission did he, said, did he say, only reach this particular generation. We shouldn't just be reaching young people or trying to reach young people and young families or just trying to reach middle-aged people and middle-aged families or senior adults and senior adult families. No, we should. We as disciples, as people belonging to Jesus, our goal, our task, our existence is to reach the entire world, every generation for Christ. And in that, multi-generational and multicultural. Never once did Christ say, declare in his mission statement or his great commission to us that we should only reach one culture. As we'll see in a moment, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we verse those together, one against the other, we see Christ changing things. The Sermon on the Mount, he changed, he upped the game, if you'll, say, if you'll uh, you know, humor me for a second. He upped the game as far as disciples uh, or followers of him look like. Nick Rick Ripkin, a former um, IMB missionary, he wrote this, The church cannot be the church unless it's going and making disciples. We have to come to an understanding that there's a huge difference between converts and disciples. Uh, Yes, we need the work of an evangelist to happen. Yes, we need people to be convinced, thoroughly convinced, that Christ and Christ alone is it. And yes, the call is on everyone in this room, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, If you follow through in baptism and you've given your life to Christ, then it is your job and my job to make disciples. The the, the problem is is this. We we have difficulty defining what a disciple is, and it's much more difficult to make a disciple than a convert. I mean, think, think for a moment, simply. Maybe you've had someone come to your house to sell you something. Maybe they're going to sell you a vacuum cleaner. That's a scenario that happens a lot. They come to your house and they want to sell you a vacuum cleaner. And think for a moment, maybe, maybe you have been convinced to buy that vacuum cleaner. Maybe the price is right. Maybe the reward seems great. Maybe it looks like a quality machine that's going to last you forever. And so you purchase that vacuum cleaner. Then in the next moment, can you imagine the salesman saying, Hey, I, I persuaded you to buy this vacuum and you purchased it and I'm so thankful. Now I want you to go and sell vacuums. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Here's the thing. Like, here's the deal. Like, I'll purchase your vacuum all day long, and I'm thankful for it, but I need you to leave now. Like, like I only want the vacuum. I don't want what comes along with it. No, no, no. The deal is purchase the vacuum, then become a salesman. See, for many of us, we think that we can just purchase the vacuum. We can just have the eternal insurance. Our soul can be taken care of eternally, And we think there's nothing more for us after that. Lord, let me continue living like I desire to live. Save my soul from hell, and then let me live the way that I want to live. No, no, no. You you signed a contract. We have a covenant. We have an agreement together. I purchased you with my blood, and so because of that, I own your life. And with that, you will follow, obediently follow what I ask you to do. It sounds very harsh. I'm watching your faces this morning because of what I do. It sounds very harsh to say that. Oh, don't put that on me, preacher. Like You're not preaching grace anymore. Like Don't put that on me. You're preaching works. Christ purchased you with his blood. And because of that, 
You confessed your sin. You repented of your life, your broken life. You gave him your life. You decided you want to walk in newness of life. And in that, who owns that newness of life? You do not. Christ owns that newness of life. And so with that, we have to become, if we're going to be the church, we have to be the church who's going and making disciples. Now, we, we hear going, and because of our missionary talk around the world, because of our Southern Baptist roots, we hear going, and we think, oh, no, the preacher's about to call me to go. He's going to tell me to go to Malaysia because he just got back from there. We heard it a lot in Idaloo. Oh, no, he's going to call us to go to Brazil because the pastor loves Brazil. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, we've got to go, we've got to go. Listen, the call is not from me. The call is from the one who saves you. The call is to go. The commission is to go. And who knows where that going could be? My hope for you is this, that, that man, I wish so desperately Christ would have said, here's the Great Commission, stay comfortable, friends. You know, you know like, a, like a beer commercial, stay comfortable, friends. Like, that would be awesome. But that's not what Christ called us to do. He called us to go and represent him. He called us to go and make disciples of him. He commanded us to go and teach the things that he has taught so that people can know the one and only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom, whom God sent. So here's a, here's, a huge, here's a huge issue. So we have issues of defining what a disciple is. So for the next four weeks or so, we're going to define these paths or these marks of discipleship. Number one we're going to talk about this morning uh, is faithful proclamation of Christ and his teaching. One of the marks of discipleship discipleship, or one of the marks of, can we, can we tell if you're a disciple or if I'm a disciple, is, are you faithfully proclaiming Christ and his teaching? Another mark is, are you obediently abiding in Christ? Not in yourself, but are you obediently abiding in Christ? Another is this, do you have unity through love? Like you're seeking unity among brothers and sisters, among the other saints, among the people of, of God, the people belonging to God through love. And then another, we won't call it the final, but the R and four, is recognition of the power, authority, and righteousness of Christ. If we see these marks in your life, then we would, we would come to an agreement. There are more, but if we see these marks in your life, then we would have the great assumption, maybe a holy assumption, that you're on the road to righteousness and not destruction. So faithful proclamation of Christ and his teaching. Take the Old Testament and the New Testament for a second. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant for a second. Or multiple seconds, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't lie to you. More than one second, okay? We're going to spend some time on this together. The Old Testament is a come and see theology. A come and see moment in history. Uh, Think back to what you know from the Old Testament. God creates a people. He creates a temple. He creates these things. These things so that you can see him. You can come and you can see. He creates the the people group. He creates a political regime. He creates an army all within the the people of Israel. He creates this temple. He uses his people. He builds this great temple so that people can see from miles around, from all over the world. They can come and they can see God for for all his glory. They can see that in a people and in a place. And so the geographic center of the Old Testament really is God's temple, where, where we say God would have resided. You have the people. You have his army. You have chariots. You have horses. You have a political regime. You have a language even that belongs to the Israelite or the Hebrew people. And then Christ comes along. 
And he begins preaching and teaching, fulfilling prophecy, signifying that he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's coming to establish the one and only kingdom of heaven. He's coming to establish that. And he begins to replace all those things. Remember what he said? Your temple, I will destroy it. And three days again, I will rise and build it again. Christ comes and he replaces things. See, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the temple that was built by human hands, instructed by God, represented God's place. The New Covenant, the New Testament, Christ replaces that. He is this temple. He puts his spirit in his people, representing him. Are you going to church, we say often? No, I'm not going to church because I am the church. I belong to Christ. I can't go to a place where I already am. Christ is the temple. In the Old Testament, we have all these priests who work, a band of priests who are working diligently to to offer uh, prophecy, to offer worship, to offer incense, to offer sacrifice, so that the people who belong to God, their sins can be removed. Christ then becomes this high priest who replaces all priests. There is no more need for an earthly mediator between us and God because Christ is it. He replaced, he replaced the old covenant, fulfilled all the law. And then ultimately, Christ becomes this sacrifice. You come to the temple, bring your sacrifice with you. The priest will perform the sacrifice. Your sins will be forgiven for at least a year until the next time that you need another sacrifice. Christ comes in, destroys the temple, raise, raises himself up, becomes the center point, the geographic center of the new covenant, the New Testament. He, he completely demolishes the need for earthly priests because he becomes the mediator between us and God, stepping in our place, taking the sins upon himself, becoming the sacrifice once for all so that we can have this right relationship with God. I mean, think for a moment even in the Old Testament. The Israelite people had their own language. The Old Testament is written in the language of Hebrew. No one else spoke that language. Only the Israelites spoke spoke Hebrew. They had their own language. They could be identified by their own language. And then Christ comes along. Hey, this message is for the entire world. The New Testament is written in Greek, the trade language of the day, so that all the world could hear it, so all the world could hear the goodness of of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And Christ comes in and he fulfills everything and becomes the geographic center of our lives, the geographic center of his kingdom. And so because of that, we need to be faithful as disciples of Jesus, faithfully proclaiming Christ and his teachings. Unfortunately, we fall back into old ways. Unfortunately, we become like the Israelites. Oh, but give us a center. Let, let us... Let us have a place that, say, is central to Christianity. Give us a, give us a Mecca that we can go to and, and worship. I mean, you would make fun of. You would, be, you would be mad if I was to tell you. The way you worship a building that has a, a label of First Baptist Church on it is similar to the way Muslims worship Mecca. You would be frustrated with me. You'd be pointing your fingers. Your eyebrows would go down like many of you this morning already. The Old Testament gave us that geographic center, the temple, belonging to the Lord, where God's presence was. 
But thanks be to God that he opened up a way for us, that the temple curtain was torn, that he opened up a way for us by sacrifice on the cross, by his defeating of death and sin forever, so that we could have access to the Father through his Son, Jesus. And with that, do not go backwards, but continue marching forward in what Christ desires for us. See, faithful proclamation of Christ and his teaching teaches that Christ is it. The geographic center of Christianity is Jesus. It is not a place. It is not a time. No, it is Jesus. It is a person. It is God. It is Jesus. And so because of that, we are faithful as as disciples who belong to him, faithful to proclaim him and him alone. Turn to, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't agree with me on the geographic center, just think about uh, Jesus' words to the uh, Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Hey, you say we're supposed to worship here, and you say we're supposed to worship here, and what does Jesus tell her? Ah, spirit and truth, worship me for who I am. First Peter chapter 2. Hopefully you found it already. We'll start in verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. When we begin, side note for a second here, when we begin preaching Jesus and Jesus alone, when we begin saying our task is to make disciples of Jesus and that's it, people get confused by it. Yeah, but aren't we supposed to be doing these things also? No, Christ and his mission is clear. We make disciples of him and him alone. Yeah, but are you really only going to preach Jesus? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We are little Jesuses. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. So because of that, we only preach Jesus. Yeah, but, but isn't, there, isn't there more? Are you sure Jesus is enough? And people get tripped up by that become a stumbling block. Christ, it doesn't make sense to us, but Christ then becomes a stumbling block because we think we're not faithfully proclaiming Christ when we think that there's more to it than just Jesus. Maybe you've seen videos of people who have figured things out. They, they look at the can of the soda and they, oh, I'm going to decipher this. This can must mean Satan in the can. And I'm going to show all these things that, that really point to oh, Satan is in this can. And if I turn it upside down, I'm, I'm talking about a real video here. If I turn it upside down, then I'm drinking Satan. I figured it out. Okay, spend more time as a Christian figuring out who Jesus is and faithfully proclaiming Christ and Christ alone instead of these 
far-fetched ideas that make absolutely no sense in regards to your everlasting life with Jesus and make no sense in the worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. So they stumble, uh, the final ver- words of verse 8 says, is they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But here's the good news. Remember that Old Covenant? Remember that Old Testament? Remember that people group from, from years ago? Christ comes in and he says this, but you are a chosen race. Remember for a moment, the Israelites, you could identify them by the way that they looked. I mean, how often in our world today, you you know all about it, you've seen it, some of you have lived harshly through it. How often do we define ourselves by skin color? I mean, the the Israelites were were quick to do that. We, We know we can define ourselves by the way that our race looks. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Wait a minute, how is this? How can this be that you are going to make me a royal priesthood? No, for for a moment here, I asked you at the beginning, how do you introduce yourself? How many of you said, I am a royal priesthood? I am a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Wait a minute. Peter, you're writing this, and I trust that you are with Jesus, and I trust that you know what you're saying. But let me tell you, there's only one holy place, and that holy place was the holy temple. How are you going to make me a holy place? A holy nation. How are you going to make me different, set apart, and different from the rest of the world? Then he goes on to say, a people for his own possession. Remember what Paul said? You've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. Christ purchased you with his blood. And because of that, you belong to him. We had a college student in Albuquerque that, uh, that got a tattoo of a barcode. And I know some of you are frustrated about this already, but got a tattoo of a barcode right here. And put underneath the barcode, uh, that first Corinthians, uh, six, where it says you've been bought with a price. I don't know if you could go to Bob's and scan it and see, oh yeah, she really has been purchased by, by Jesus. I'm not sure if that worked. But we have been purchased, it was a reminder to her, being purchased by Jesus, belongs to Jesus. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your job as a follower of Jesus, your your task as a disciple of Jesus is to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Faithfully proclaiming Christ and his commandments. Faithfully proclaiming Christ and his teachings. It's interesting here, the Greek word, when it says proclaim, it really means to worship. Uh, John Piper probably says it best, that missions exist because worship of Jesus doesn't. I mean, the places that are unreached people groups, the places where where we are in need of most people to go and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, uh, the reason for that is no one is worshiping Jesus there. When Mandy and I were praying through, uh, Lord, send us where you desire for us to go. Send us to a place, and I'm sorry if you're offended by this, send us to a place where your gospel is needed. Send us to a place where worship of Jesus is not the majority. Send us to a place where we can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and people can be thoroughly convinced that Jesus is it. Either we're out of the Lord's will because this is not it, 
or we're in the Lord's will because this is it. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, there are many great programs. There are great evangelistic tools. There are great tracks. There are great courses. There are great uh, books that teach us how to share our faith. But the matter of the fact is, or the fact of the matter is, do you have something marvelous to proclaim? And if you do, proclaim Jesus. Well, we get confused. Well, I'm confused because I'm not equipped to do that. I don't know the right words to say. What has what Christ done in your life? What is he doing in your life? What is he going to do in your life? Proclaim those things. Proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Worship Jesus. One author says this, there's little difference between how great thou art and great is the Lord. The only difference is one is making a statement to God and one is, a making, one is making a statement to the congregation. How great thou art. Great is the Lord. Both are worship. Proclaiming the excellencies of God. Him being the subject. Proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. Him being the subject. Being the center of our life. As a follower of Jesus, when we're on the path to righteousness, one of the marks of discipleship will be, are you faithful to proclaim Christ and his teachings? I love that J.D. Greer uh, makes his church repeat after him and, and yell out, the essence of the gospel is this. If you could say it in four words, it would be, Jesus in my place. A replacement theology worth talking about. Jesus in my place. Proclaim that. Proclaim that you are broken, but Christ makes you whole. Proclaim that you are full of sin, but Christ erases it. Proclaim that you were bound to death, but Christ gives you life through him and him alone. Jesus in your place. I love that Peter goes on to say, he doesn't stop in this moment, but he goes on to say in Second Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you then, as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. See, he reminds them, don't go backwards. Don't be like the Israelites and say, this geographic area belongs to us. This language belongs to us. This race belongs to us. These things growing down the side of our head belongs to us. This identifies us as people who belong to God. But instead, remind yourself that you are sojourners, aliens, exiles. You do not belong to this place. Instead, you belong to Christ. How do you introduce yourself? Call yourself a prisoner of Jesus. Call yourself someone who doesn't belong to this place, but instead belongs to Jesus. Call yourself a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God for his own possession. Proclaim Christ and his excellencies. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Interesting. Old Testament, Old Covenant. Those Israelites, they had their own war parties. They had chariots. They had horses. They had swords. They had knives. They claimed them. 
They went at war. God showed them, hey, go fight these people. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, Christ proclaims to us through his Sermon on the Mount, go the extra mile. If they force you to do this, go one more mile. Declare to them forgiveness. Don't let anger be your God, but instead let Christ be your God. Because why? Because things outside of us, not necessarily flesh and blood, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, but there is a war against our soul. And that war against our soul will only be defeated through the completed work of Jesus. And this is why followers of Jesus must make one of their marks of discipleship, faithful proclamation of Christ and his teachings. Keep your conduct, verse 12 says, is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You have to come to a moment in your life as one who's claiming or is a follower of Jesus. Can I see in my own life and can those around me see in my life a mark of discipleship? Can they see that I'm faithful to proclaim Christ and his teachings? Can they see that in my own life, can people around me, and can I see it also, that I'm faithful to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? I mean, by proclaiming Christ, by proclaiming his teachings, you are worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone. You're making Christ the geographic center of your life. You're making Christ the most important thing or person in your life. <coughs> it's interesting to me to see when Christ calls his disciples in Mark chapter 1, and I see a yawn over here. Come on, Brian, really? <sighs> when Christ calls his disciples in Mark chapter 1, he says, follow you. <laughs> Sorry, that's what we're saying in our world today. Follow you. Christ says, follow me and I will make you rabbis. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I think I got it confused. Follow me and I will make you pastors. Follow me and I will make you missionaries. Follow me and I'll make you Sunday school teachers. Follow me and I'll make you worship leaders. That's interesting, I think, that Christ, the rabbi, Emmanuel, God with us, the answer to all prophecy says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you know why he says that? Because he was speaking to fishermen. If he would have said, hey, fishermen, follow me and I'll make you rabbis, it would be like in our world today. See, when I felt a call from the Lord to serve him, there were only a few options in our church world to follow him. I mean, you could ask me, did you have a moment where you're in your room and you're reading your, your word and the light comes down through the ceiling and the word is open and it says, you will be a pastor? Or was there a moment when, when you were reading scripture and you heard an audible voice, someday you will be the greatest youth minister in the history of one particular church ever? I didn't hear those words, mostly because it would have been a sin. I didn't hear those words. For, for my own life, and this may be confusing to a number of you, but for my own life, this is what I heard. I heard the excellencies of Jesus and said, I want to follow him. In our own world, we narrow that down. We say, well, if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully and, and full time, there's only a few roles for you to do. 
So you're either going to be a missionary, you're going to be a pastor or some form of a pastor at a church, or you're going to be a, a seminary professor. I mean, this is how you follow Jesus full time. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Can you imagine Christ having that conversation with those fishermen? Hey, I, I want you to follow me. But I'm going to change everything there is about you, all your passions, all those things that we've created you for. No longer will you ever fish again. Instead, you're going to be stuck in a cage somewhere. I mean, this happened to, you remember Lewis and Clark? This happened to Lewis. He was a great adventurer. He went and discovered new territory. He goes and he's on this huge journey out, fulfilling his purpose in life. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to discover. I'm going to be an adventurer. I'm going to document all these things. I'm going to live through harsh conditions. I'm going to report all these things back. I mean, do you know the sad reality about Mr. Mr. Lewis? He goes back to St. Louis after the journey is over and depression sets in. It becomes this caged animal we'll speak of. And he's overcome with depression. So much so that he takes his own life. This great adventurer, caged up, put back in an office. He's not an office person. He's a follower. He's a leader. He's an adventurer. Send him, send him out. The church has been caging people up too long. The church has been caging disciples of Jesus up too long. Never, ever was it the intention of Jesus to proclaim his excellencies in a box on a particular day of the week, during a particular hour, and only during that time. The call of Jesus is to go and make disciples. Not come and see, but go and make disciples. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Their eyes got big. Passion grew up in them. I want to, to I see who you are, I see your excellencies, and I'll follow you wherever, wherever you lead me to go. Don't cage me up, but let me go and serve you. But church, this is what I desire from you. Don't be caged up. Don't box yourself in. I love Colossians 3. I'm going to read it to you. I told you I was going to preach a long time. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Uh, We'll start in verse uh, 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus is not just supposed to be on Sunday morning, during Sunday school hour or worship time or Sunday evening, or Wednesday night prayer meeting. Proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus are supposed to happen every step that you take. 
A faithful follower of Jesus proclaims Christ and his teaching in every moment that he has an opportunity to. Don't be caged up, boxed in. Instead, see that Christ has called you out of darkness into the light so that you could be strangers and exiles in this land, living for something greater than yourself, proclaiming the excellencies and worshiping the excellencies of Christ and Christ alone. And what makes a fisherman? Going to one fishing tournament a year, having all the equipment, talking about fishing, gathering with other fishermen weekly, or fishing daily. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a group of fishermen sitting around? Maybe you've heard the analogy before. Can you imagine a group of fishermen sitting around and talking about and talking about fishing, but never fishing? That was good. It was real good. It was a good meeting. And yet never going fishing. Spoke with one of the gentlemen who was leading uh, the fishing fest there in Malaysia. He was asking some questions about uh, uh, my thoughts concerning the uh, fishing tournament. And I said, it was great. I just wish we could have fished more. I didn't come all the way across the world to sit on a soccer field and practice casting. I came to fish. I don't think Christ calls us to be fishers of men to sit around on a soccer field talking about casting. But instead, he's asked us to go and represent him, be faithful to proclaim his excellencies to the world so that they can see. The fact of the matter is, do you have something marvelous to share? And if you do, proclaim Christ and his teachings. Jesus, thank you so much for taking our place, for giving us hope, for giving us something to share. Thank you for for calling us out of darkness, bringing us into your light, for making us a a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to you for your own possession. And maybe we can be like Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Maybe we can be compelled by your love so much so that it constrains us, forms us, and transforms us into your likeness so we can truly live up to the name of Christian. God, help us to be faithful to proclaiming Christ. Help us to be faithful to be proclaiming Christ's teaching. Let us not be about ourselves, but if we desire to be disciples of Christ, then let us truly be disciples of Christ. And those, God, in this room, including myself, who want to grow in maturity, who want to increase in knowledge of you, God, will you help us? Will you fill us with your will and your wisdom so that we may walk worthy of you, God, fully pleasing to you and you alone? God, help us to be motivated to see people who are, who are living in darkness and who are in need of Jesus. Not good morals, not a great political system, not a better skin color, 
but instead help us to see people like you see people desperate, harassed, helpless, in need of compassion, in need of a good shepherd. And help us to proclaim who that good shepherd truly is. <coughs> God, thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. Let us be, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let us be faithful to proclaim Christ and his teachings. God, as we have questions, may you answer them according to your will. God, no matter where we stand on our evangelistic strategies or where we stand on what the end goal is or how we measure what success of a church looks like, God, help us to wade through all that and help us to see Christ in his beauty and proclaim his excellencies. Let us be a church who's willing to repent of morphing into something that you don't desire for us to be. God, help us to be willing to confess that you are Lord, that you have purchased us. And because of that, you and you alone are the only thing worthy of living for. And let this body of Christ truly be the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.